Hello everyone, Future Dave here. Just to let you know, you can support the show by going to patreon.com slash emnetwork. We really appreciate all your support, and we hope to see you with more episodes in the future. Now on with the show. recording hey craig Thanks, Craig. yeah it's like the little recording part came off of it before so i was like did it stop and reset apparently this program like once a day resets mm. and uh <laughs> yeah like did the discord api got screwed up like six months ago and they haven't really worked with the guy even though this is a really popular thing but anyways uh so here we are yet again talking about this is exo friends at exo squad podcast I'm uh, David Hoyt, and I'm joined by. <laughs> Waiting for you to go, Lex. <laughs> I'm by the most awkward couple ever. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm Lexi, and I feel like uh, today my role, aside from being the resident foreigner who has no sentimental or nostalgic attachment to the show, uh, my other role today is going to be just to apply random uh, academic lenses to this because. <laughs> You know, uh, that's what we do in academia. We ruin everything with theory. Uh, but I did realize there are a couple of moments here where you could really just, uh, if you feel like being a little bit silly, we could run with some feminist and indigenous theory readings of this episode. Oh, I love that. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 right. I'm excited. Uh, yeah, and I'm Kayvon. I'm not a foreigner, nor am I an academic anymore. So I will be leaving my academic lenses at home, despite the fact that I am at home at the moment. But uh, yeah, nevertheless, we'll jump in, see what we have to say. If I can officially add doctor to your name, you are always an academic from now on. So That's true. You can officially add doctor to my name. Um, which, by the way, I demand that everyone call me a master of science for my <laughs> academic achievements. I went to school for three semesters to get that title. So. Fair. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then you can refer to me as master, master, doctor. Okay, well. Master, master, doctor. Master, doctor, master? Master, doctor, master, or master... Dr. Kayvon M.A. will also work. So I want you to know that Nancy just walked in here, whispered master sides to me, and flipped me off. <laughs> Beautiful. She's she's very she's very disapproving of my of my uh, <laughs> attitude about my academic achievements. I uh, mean, as someone who has a few of those, um, they're just nonsense honestly like one thing i learned from being in graduate school for 11 years is that advanced degrees do not correlate to being smart do not even <laughs> do not suggest remotely suggest that someone is smart period end statement the the only not that you're not smart there's a lot of idiots well, in grad school I, I will say that maybe I am more intelligent in some areas than some people or more learned. Uh, but really all that graduate school taught me was how to convince other people to do the job for me while I gave the presentation. 
<laughs> well, and I mean, honestly, in a capitalist economy, that's probably one of the most valuable skills you can develop. So. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I as soon as I got my master's degree, I got promoted. Like it's it's weird because I learned how to make other people do it for me. That's but yeah, unfortunately, wow. I don't get to do that that much these days. I always have to do it myself occasionally. Oh, oh like, you're uh, capitalist, Dave. So poor. What would Thomas Edison say? He'd, he'd probably take all my ideas and sell them as his own patents. That's exactly. what he would say. He wouldn't say anything except <laughs> sucker. Just get, get out. <laughs> thanks for all. Thanks for all the ideas. Uh, so yes. So this is. We <laughs> yeah, we 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 digress, but in fun ways. This is this is this is Exo Friends episode three, recording just after Donald Trump has been declared the biggest loser, and we are talking about uh, ironic or not ironically, coincidentally enough, Exo Squad episode three, Fall of the Human Empire, part <laughs> part three, Hidden Terrors. Uh. I love these names. I said it before, and I'll say it again, and again, and again, and again. Um, so, uh, last episode, uh, the the Exo fleet had just driven the pirates back in their initial battle. Uh, Simbaka and his pirate clans have retreated to uh, what we've confirmed now to be the the Moon Enceladus. And they have another fallback position, apparently, on Tethys, which is another moon of of uh, Saturn. I didn't write it down. I should have wrote that. Down. Uh, but, yeah, I think it's Saturn. Yeah, one yeah, of the many moons. moons of Saturn. Of, yeah, one of the many moons of Saturn. And it, in looking in looking up notes for the program, I I found like Enceladus is actually this really important thing in a, a, a astrological uh, studies. Where like it's one of the apparently one of the most likely places to find you know microbial life because of the giant oceans of of liquid of liquid water underneath the ice surface of the moon, hmm. and uh, we learned all that from uh, I think one of the Cassini projects. Which I thought was really cool because you know yeah. if if you can learn that I I actually don't think we knew that at the time that this cartoon came out, but later finding that out made it just a little a little more interesting for me at least. Right, right. That's super cool. I did not know that either. Yeah, master of huh. science, Dave Hoyt. Everyone, Na <laughs> master of information science. <laughs> Bringing that science Google. information. I, thanks, University of Pittsburgh. Uh, the, so we we start again as it seems we always do with a Charles McKenna recap about the battle so far. Uh, yeah, so the 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 pirates have lured uh, the Exo fleet to Enceladus. Uh, by just leaving the previous battle and going there and setting up in their bases. And they've got these gun batteries on the surface and the exo fleet starts firing at them. And they almost look like they're empty because they're not really firing back and they all start exploding. And the exo fleet gets really like, Hmm, yes, this is working. Let's get closer. And Simbaka, <laughs> Simbaka is sitting there on his like, commander throne with his fingers he's like yes excellent and he's someone says should we start firing now and he's like commander simbaka our surface installations are being destroyed we must fight back <laughs> there is an old earth proverb 
prey comes willingly to the spider who waits in his web. And he says this is an old Earth proverb, but I couldn't find that anywhere. Does anyone like? Have you ever heard that before? I mean, it's an obvious proverb, but like, I feel like I've heard it. But then I'm also, it might be that weird thing where you think you know something because you just heard it, and you're like, oh yeah, that's a memory, but you're not. I don't know. I was also very confused. My question though is, does this mean that they don't use this proverb on Earth anymore? And he says it's like an old Earth proverb. Like, does right. that mean that? I don't know, all the cool people with uh, cyberpunk haircuts are not using this proverb. Well, yeah, you, would, you, you, would ima- you would imagine people are setting traps still, like especially in this militaristic society. So someone's probably still using this proverb. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there is some variation of that that I um I can recall. And there's like a bunch of I just like Googled spiderweb proverbs, and there's like a ton of them. I don't know how like well, it's a, here and like wander through a million of these, but like there are it, a bunch. It's an obvious metaphor, right? You just wait right. for someone to come to you and then you kill them. Like that that's that's how traps work. Uh <laughs> and, spiders. and spiders, yes. Um the uh the what was I gonna say? It sounds it sounds like something that some like you're sitting at a D&D table and someone wants to sound smarter than they actually are. And they're like, it's Sun Tzu, the art of war. And then they just make something up because they know no one at the table has actually read it. So you can't <laughs> disprove them. Right. I use that. I use that tactic at work all the time. And like, yeah, we could, we could do this. If you do this, this, and this and give me more money for the project. And no one can argue because I'm the only one who knows what's going on. Sometimes, <laughs> as, as Sun Tzu says, give me more money. Yeah, as Sun Tzu says, we can do anything with enough time and money. Give me more money. Uh, but <laughs> um, just a quick detour on spider proverbs. So I did find a fun one for, allegedly from Spain that translates to laws like the spider's web, catch the fly and let the hawk go free. Um, and then there's a variation on that. The spider's web lets the rat escape and catches the fly. I don't get it. What you know, like I think it kind of it's like you know the little guy's the one that gets tangled up in laws, and the the hawk, like the big guy. Oh, that know, makes or whatever. That makes more sense. My smooth brain was not quite understanding that. <laughs> it's, it's, right. it's been a long and emotionally taxing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let 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 the big guy get away, but trap trap the little one for all its juicy yeah. blood. Yeah, yeah. The so um, Mar- Marsh is suspicious of the obviously upcoming trap and tells Abo squad to prep for combat while Takagi underplays his concussion, which I don't think ever really comes into play again. Yeah. It's just kind of a like weird loose thread. Like, yeah, I just need an aspirin for this concussion and having suffered, I suffered a concussion last year. You need way more than an aspirin. (laughs) I went, I went to, um, I went to a tough mutter run. And I don't know if you know anything about those, but at the end of them, they famously have these like wires hanging down with like hay bale obstacles that you're supposed to jump over. And when you run into the wires where there's also water shooting on you, they turn on electricity to zap you. And my. Dave, I don't think this is the podcast for your weird, like, fetish mud running. <laughs> See, I just. <disagree. laughs> I, <think, laughs> I think it is. I think Speak it is. for yourself, wifey. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point, sorry, I, I, I'm trying to warn people, though, because if you go to one of these and you see that and you think to yourself, okay, the tactic here is to run as fast as you can to get through it. That's not the right tactic because here's what happens. You run in, 
and you're like, okay, this is fine. Like I, I, you think you feel something because the wire touches you, but they haven't turned on the electricity yet because they're bastards and they wait. And you think to yourself, all right, jump over that hay bale. And you jump over the hay bale and they turn on the electricity and your body seizes because it just got shocked and you land on your fucking head and have a concussion for the next like two weeks. Jesus. Yeah, it was terrible. I don't want to like stray too far from the show, but I'm very confused. Is this is this like a form of running for people who run so much that running itself is no longer torture? Uh, kinda, yeah. It's re- it's really to prove your 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 American toughness. You're just like, yeah, I can climb over dangerously tall cargo nets, swim under things that would probably drown me if I screw up, and uh, jump through electricity, water, hail, ba- hay bale obstacles. <laughs> I mean, I, I love them. You say okay. Yep. Sorry. Is it is it all that different from two people dressing up in Japanese kimonos and going out and throwing themselves around on a mat and trying to apply pressure to each other's joints to break them? Ooh, yes, I would say yes because you're actually like <laughs> learning learning some way to defend yourself. Meanwhile, this is just you're not practicing any skills. You're just climbing over things that might kill you. Fair. Yeah. Although, but, I mean. Uh, like, <laughs> you, you'll be better at fleeing from things. That's true. Like if I need to climb over a three-story tall cargo net to escape something, I know I can do it now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, this is the episode of divergences. Sorry. More concussions later. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like I said, uh, March is suspicious of the trap, and he tells Able Squad to get ready, and then. Un, unsurprisingly, the fleet moves closer, and Sabaka springs his trap, his cunning trap of more guns, <laughs> and just wow. and just starts shooting, and he starts fucking up the Exo fleet. And for some reason, they can't pull back. I, I don't yeah. like maybe the gravity is holding them in or something. Like I don't know, it, it confused me. Yeah, um, the uh, you know, Dave, real men don't retreat. Once you're in there, you you know withdrawal is 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 for sissies and Catholics. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No offense to our Catholic listeners. I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Uh, But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like one of those things, and I think it's like you know, because like that's something I never would have thought about as as a as a 10 year old i was just like oh damn they fell in that trap and yeah adult me is like well just go backwards it's like it's it's the difference between like a D player who's like plow straight through and just set off the traps and the other one who's like i just jump over the pit <laughs> right and the, the dm's like oh no they figured it out <laughs> it's like shit what am i gonna do now <laughs> i've run out of ideas <laughs> uh so, oh, but this this is an opportunity for the show for the show to send in the to send in what we're all here for the 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 exo squad able squad and and for the first time the jump troops which they're mm-hmm. not they're they're kind of boring here they all look uniform and they have the they have the same getups and they're just like they're just kind of like jumping around in jetpacks and right. shooting shooting at the pirates but Nara is not in the suit with Marsala like she normally is. She has her, like, it looks like an old-timey diver suit with a giant claw and a gun, and it's smaller than the rest of the E-frames, but 
and that's supposed to symbolize, I think, that she's the liaison between the between Able Squad and the Jump Troopers. Yeah, it's like her weird personal like E-frame that when she's like out just doing her own solo missions, like that's what she's in. Yeah, and I really, I really do like it. I think it's one of the cooler designs. And I always remember, I had, I had the toy version of it, and mm-hmm. it's, and it looks a lot different than what she has on here. It's actually the same size as the rest of the toy, as the rest of the like individual E-frame toys. So it's very, it's, it's not as cool as it is in that, sh- as it is in the show. Um, they, it's a little bit GI Joe at this point because, like, there's there's just lasers going back and forth, and no one's really getting hit. Uh, you know, just, just knowing's half the battle, and the other the other twenty five percent are red and blue lasers. Uh, <laughs> except they don't they don't differentiate the colors in this show, which makes it very confusing. How do I know if they're going left to right, and which one's the good guy and the bad guy? Good laser but, versus bad laser. Who can tell? Right, they need a beam battle, like where they start shooting at each other, and like the beams are just contesting for dominance. Uh, <laughs> this is real, get real anime. Um, it, but the able squad and the jump troops, they, they start really wrecking the pirate shit, but uh, they're they can't take out all the guns right away, so the guns are still shooting at the exofleet, and they hit uh, the resolute, the capital ship of the exofleet, and sci-fi trope here the the computer console that admiral winfield is sitting over explodes yeah i i I remember i remember sometimes in star trek the consoles would explode and they'd show you like graphically the person who just got hit by the shrapnel of that (laughs) console exploding and like i've i've seen computer equipment get overloaded with electricity one time someone plugged in uh, a place i worked plugged in a router with uh the wrong power adapter and the uh all i I watched as every single light on the router went and melted away and then just started smoking and i was like i was like hmm and that's about the most violent thing i've ever seen from a from a piece of computer equipment right well and so like okay so it's the future we've sorted out face travel or space travel we've yeah, face travel too. We've got that yes. one down. We sorted out space travel. That's my dyslexia for you. Um, but we can't figure out how to build computers without glass screens or circuitry that just explodes. Like, how is this not shielded from whatever? Like, what is this causing these things to overload? And how is this not like, I don't know? Like, is it like have we like it's okay? We we like really made advancements in propulsion, but, um, you know, like the basic work of electrical engineering hasn't made any significant like, leaps well, forward. I, I thought, I thought about it for a little while and I'm like, okay, so like in the future, like right now in 2020, we all use touch screens for a lot of shit. So maybe in the future mm-hmm. they're still using touch screens. So they can't like not have the gorilla glass there, but gorilla glass is real strong. It takes a lot to break that like an explosion, I guess. But like, I feel the easiest engineering solution to this is put a protective layer of some stronger material that can't be exploded outward over the monitor and use a keyboard. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I have, I have just saved thousands of lives in the Star Trek universe. Thank you. Holographic displays. Yeah. Right. Like give me my Nobel prize now. Um, yeah. <laughs> except that nobody 
wants to be saved in this universe because if shit doesn't just explode in your face then the story doesn't move forward so. well, right because in the future <laughs> they've, they've got you you ha, it's, it's like what that that a uh, question why didn't they just call the cops because it would be boring um <laughs> right. in, the, in the future we have two things exploding consoles and no seat belts never seat belts no can't have that and, and spaceships that don't back up spaceships that can't back up right yeah, uh, yeah. we only put jets on one side shit <laughs> they're the sharks <laughs> of the <laughs> of space oh they can't swim backwards so only forward always forward space sharks I also, I also love that in this very brief scene where admiral winfield gets exploded by the console um what's the other guy's name the like asshole Marcus. that you're not supposed to like yeah marcus is like he's under attack or like the admiral's hit or something he like shouts something ridiculous yeah. like, no dude that was literally just technology backfiring on you sorry um <laughs> yeah, and there's, there's, like, there's like stuff falling from the ceiling which i guess is supposed to represent you know the ship is like shaking and maybe like bits of whatever is like falling out of the ceiling but at first i was just like where are these rocks coming from they're like <laughs> in the future they they have still have not made an improvement on the classic drop ceiling it's just like rocks <laughs> falling out of the roof onto yeah. the console again again and if that's a problem just put a net on the ceiling right <laughs> catch all the rocks. Way. Right. Or, or don't or don't build your spaceship out of like rocks like it's some kind of medieval castle paper mache <laughs> <laughs> but uh, a thin layer of paper mache with just rocks on top of it. Like, there you go. <laughs> I also like uh, Admiral Winfield has like I think one of the better like agonized exclamations when that explodes in his face. He's just like, ah! Oh, I just put that in. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth finding like an audio clip of. It's too good. The other, the other thing about this scene is you start to get a little bit of a, a much better sense of the scale of the Resolute because I think the the front of it, I'm at, yeah, the front of it, I'm looking at the scene right now. There's four rows of five hangers, and each one of those hangers has these gigantic spaces in them. Uh, when, mm -hmm. you, when, you see, when you see a scene where they're taking off, and it's it looks like you could fit hundreds of e-frames inside those. So like just just a simple guesstimate. Let's say each one could hold a hundred e-frames. That means there's at least like five times four, twenty two thousand e-frames on this ship, right? Yeah. I, mean, I might be I might be like losing the scale a little bit in my mind because of the animation but it just seems like this ship is gigantic like we're talking like star wars star destroyer size here right well it's i mean you gotta figure it's a carrier so it would be like the largest like one of the largest ships and it would be the largest ship in the fleet but like think thinking about that in context of today today's scale like an aircraft carrier doesn't hold more than i'm just gonna guess like two dozen jets Maybe even maybe even less. I mean, they I are floating, no they're floating city. They're floating nuclear cities for mm. the most part, but they they don't they're not that big. It's I'm just picturing a bunch of aircraft carriers strapped together and floating through True. space. Like, yeah, I mean, well, it's like, and that's I mean, that's where it would be nice to get like 
uh, reboot of this show where you could get like into the lore a little bit more and could like because the show kind of you know had to sort of rush through its storytelling, but it would be nice. It'd be nice if you could get into like you know like what is like life on an exocarrier like like what is you know what is it you know how what are the you know the kind of specs for something like this all of that stuff would be yeah. interesting to have. Yeah, I, I was actually I was actually thinking about that uh, earlier. Just like what are the different. What are the different like miniseries and reboots you could do with Exo Squad? And I, I'm thinking my favorites are day to day life on the ship, almost like Star Trek: The Next Generation, right? Where it's <laughs> where it's just like these little tiny stories of human interaction on these ships, and also like the first Neo Sapien War. How cool would that be yeah. if it yeah. was if it was framed as the Neo Sapiens being the heroes? Mm -hmm. Because they right. were right, and they'd like grapple. Because were there, there had to have been civilians living on Mars in the first Neo Sapien War, because because of the things we hear pre in previous episodes, like seeing them grapple with the realities of if we start this war, we're going to end up killing a lot of people who may not necessarily mean us harm, but are part of the system that oppresses us. Right. And like the tensions between Neo Sapiens for whom it's like this is just about revenge and other Neo Sapiens for whom this is about like liberation, freedom, and justice. Yeah. And like, oh, you can have like cool things where it's like human sympathizers with the Neo Sapiens too. And like if there's like even an effort to kind of like unite like, you know, working class humans and Neo Sapiens and oh, there could be so much cool, like that would be super boss. Yeah, because you know you know there's gonna be some like hippie hippie liberals on Mars who are like helping the Neo sapiens in the war, right? Right, right. That would that would Old be cool. allies, Dave. Allies. Uh, yeah, yeah. We could we you PC people and trying to <laughs> trying to <laughs> as as I pretend to not be that kind of person. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, I you know, I don't want to move us through this too quickly, but I feel like this is also a pretty good segue into the next scene where Phaeton meets the finance minister because mm -hmm. even though the scene is set up where Phaeton's still, like, obviously the bad guy, um, I think this is also where I started building on, like, what's happened in the first two episodes. I was like, yeah, like, I, I kind of see where they're coming from. Like, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'll let us unpack that a little bit more. But, like, yeah, there's definitely a, a way to tell the story and I think the show does uh, move towards this, right, as it goes on, where, like, Neo-Sapiens aren't just bad guys. They're not actually, it's not this, like, easy black and white situation. And, yeah, for a lot of them, it's it's a liberation struggle against, like, colonial oppressors. <laughs> so that's my academic take on the situation. Um, it's not just academic. I mean, that's that's the text right there. They they show right, right. the the it's really is this next scene. We might as well move on to it because the the scene we we're talking about is really just pew pew explosions pew pew. Um, kind of, I guess the only other <laughs> yeah. thing you can note is like you see how effective like Nara is at coordinating the um, the efforts of the jump troops with the efforts of Able Squad, kind right. of more defining her as a capable leader and a brave mm. and a brave leader at that. Um, and, and like, like, like you were just saying, Lexi, we go to this next scene where Phaeton is back on Mars. And this is one of the first scenes that we don't see where, you know, the, the Neo Sap, 
all the Neo Sapiens that we've seen so far are obviously up to something or just in the background. And we meet this finance minister, uh, Gitas, who seems like a real stand-up guy. He's trying to prevent scandal because he has uh, he has discovered embezzlement on a massive scale in the in like the, the neo sapien business sector, which is like, like the only way I could think to describe that. Um, and Phaeton it just kind of nods along and he's like, "Yes, Gitas, I diverted all those funds. It was me." And he shows him this secret weapons program that he has where he's building e-frames for himself ships for himself and the one thing i noticed is some of these e-frames are gigantic compared to the ones we see in exo fleet they, right. they look like they're two stories tall and just giant gunships with legs yeah there's that big red one and then there's the one the neosapien one that has like the clamps also the clamps <laughs> get my clamps <laughs> uh I, th- I just assumed it's because the Neo Sapiens are bigger and therefore need bigger suits, but yeah, that's also that. Well, I, 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 that's a definitely the choice, case. right? That's that's definitely the case for their individual ones. Like they need to be mm-hmm. bigger because the Neo Sapiens are like seven to eight feet tall. And also, I'm I'm I have the episode on silently as we're going through this. When you see Phaeton standing next to the finance minister Gitas, he is like half a foot taller than him. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that uh, I think, like, if just thinking back on the show, they do a lot. Like, the more scientifically oriented Neo Sapiens are always smaller than, like, you know, like Shiva or some of the, the like, the militaristic ones. Um, all seem like they're taller. First, and I don't know, it's like probably just like some like little, like, just trick of animation to make them seem more imposing, more powerful. And you want Phaeton to tower over everyone and, like, seem mm-hmm. like this, like, great villain in this scene, right? Yeah. That that's why, like, I think I talked about this earlier. Like, my my dream cosplay is like f- me being Phaeton in his in his exosuit. <laughs> like, how this the I uh, the first thing I was like focused on with toying around with that idea are the stilts that I would have to put on my leg <laughs> to be that tall. Yeah, and like the bodysuit would just be like I, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a, a man of carriage. Let's say that. Uh, <laughs> So a little, a little overweight, but like even Phaeton's like body structure, I would be wearing a muscular bodysuit that would be much larger than my actual frame. Yeah, uh, so mm-hmm. I always thought that'd be a cool project. Phaeton shows Gitas his secret weapons program, and Gitas is like, "Well, this is illegal. Like, we can't be doing this. We signed an agreement." And Phaeton says this really great line. I think I might have repeated it once before in a previous episode. My diversion shall give Neo Sapiens the dignity they have been denied since their creation. With forbidden weapons? Governor Phaeton, we gave our word to an oppressor with a gun to our head to keep us slaves on our own planet. The Terran humans have denied us the right to command a ship, even to possess a weapon. They know. We will never demand justice as long as we cannot defend ourselves. We signed that agreement with a gun to our head from an oppressor. And I'll put, I'll put in the actual quote in the episode. And I thought that's a really good quote right there. Uh, you know, because he's not wrong. Right. 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 And, and that's the, the thing. Oh, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. 
No, you, no, no, I'm kidding. Okay. Uh, I mean, so that was like watching this. I was like, oh yeah. Also because this week, uh, for my pedagogy class, we were reading a lot about um, rhetorical sovereignty and kind of like indigenous people theories and that kind of stuff and uh, decolonial theory. And it just, yeah, it definitely made me think like, well, as much as I'm not, I'm not pro uh, secret weapons programs, NSA. Uh, like there is a kind of logic to what he's saying and he's not wrong. Um, you know, and I, I was just like, oh yeah, there is definitely a way you could like do an academic reading of this show that is based on a kind of decolonial, uh, indigenous theory approach. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, cause like they're not allowed to eat, you know, he mentions like, we're not allowed to arm up. We're not allowed to have our own weapons. We're not allowed to, um, captain a ship or even have ships. Um, and he's like, and you know, the humans know that's because like, or humans know, uh, like they, they want to keep us enslaved. And it's like, you think if you see like all the like anti-Neosapien sentiment and how racist humans still are about Neosapiens, um, it's like, I would be fucking nervous as shit if I was a Neosapien. It's like, they, they won't like, even people who like, weren't even alive 50 years ago when we did our uprising think we're monsters and horrible. And like, I'd be super nervous because like the humans have this massive fleet with all these E-frames and we have nothing. What happens at some point if they just decide we're too dangerous to keep around? Or even, I, I mean, even like from an economic standpoint, what happens if Earth one day decides that, oh, all those natural resources on Mars? Turns out we need those. Mm -hmm. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Where, where are you going to go? <laughs> like... And... The so I, I wanted to take notice that just some weird animation things in this scene. Do you do you, you remember while you're watching it? Like there's they they focus on Gitas and Phaeton in like an extended point of view, and there's like a tornado going yeah. through the factory. <laughs> we just rewatched this this morning, and I commented on that. It was like, why is there a tornado in their factory? I I, I think they're they're trying to demonstrate that it's so empty that like the wind can go through like unabated, but like, it's just yeah. a really like weird. Festival, right? Yeah. yeah it, uh, but a big one. It, it looks like, it looks like if you got caught in it, you'd definitely be jostled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a very mild, like, you know, EF zero tornado guys like ripping through this factory. That's how they keep. But that's their like, out. that's one of their like visual tropes for Mars though. Cause you constantly see like anytime it's like, and it cut, you know, like the, the scene will change and it'll cut to Mars. And, you know, you get your little like subtitle. It's like, oh, blah, 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 Mars. And there's always like a little tornado that spins up and like flies along. That's right. Also. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, I, it's a great way to symbolize desolation. Yeah. Because I think that's the idea. And I think it's like, you know, getting back again to the, the difference between the way the Neo Sapiens and the humans are treated. It's like Venus is like portrayed as this like Garden of Eden. It's this beautiful place. Like, you know, Nera's always on about the sunsets and how amazing the Venusian sunsets are and all this stuff. And then Mars, by contrast, the planet that the Neosapiens are dumped on is just this, like, horrific mining rock that's barren and desolate and, like, hasn't even be, been, we learn, we'll learn much later, hasn't even been, like, fully mapped because so much of it's just, like, brutally inhospitable. Right. And it's like, are you telling me you can turn Venus like this massive toxic trash planet into like this like garden of Eden. And you're just going to leave Mars as this like barely hospitable rock. And it, it goes back to like the pragmatic reason they don't care about the well-being of the Neo sapiens. Exactly. Exactly. At least, at least not, at least not enough people do for it to matter. 
Yeah. And we really get we really get the kind of point of view that no one does. Right. Except for maybe like weirdly that um the mayor of Chicago, you know, he's the one like we only see him briefly, we'll see him a little more in coming episodes, but we only see him briefly during that Phaeton speech. Um, and then he's the one who fires uh the cop. Um we talked about in the last episode, but like he's the only person and he's just like he's coded like really is just like this very like slimy, you know, conniving just like two-faced politician almost like it's <laughs> it's almost got like kind of weird anti-semitic undertones a little bit because he's got like a huge nose and stuff <laughs> well see i didn't i didn't get any feelings of actual sympathy or brotherhood from the mayor of chicago i got the feeling yeah. that like he is a politician who is doing these things with no real um moral like reasoning he's just doing them for political slash self sorry slash self-survival reasons exactly and that's the thing it's like the only people who seem to even remotely give a shit are just self-serving slime oh uh, okay yes uh that that's where you're going with it all right yeah yeah and so like it's that's it and then everybody else is like because even like you know what's i turn it what's the cop's name napier napier yeah napier's like um you know, kind of portrayed as this like, you know, likable character, you know, he's had it rough and like, you know, you really, you know, someone that you come to appreciate, but he's like massively racist <laughs> when it comes to the Asafians. So uh, the, the other thing is I, it, it really bothered me that the little Neo-Sapien symbol on their uniforms, it keeps like shifting from being interlocked to not being interlocked. And sometimes <laughs> like the symbols are shift are rotated 90 degrees <laughs> yeah, I don't like for some reason my brain just honed in on watching the symbol on Phaeton's chest almost do a full 360 degree rotation throughout the course <laughs> of this scene. Uh, it's like, why is he doing that? <laughs> I, 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 animation's hard. That, that, yeah. that's really why. But. Well, and I feel like, I mean, maybe because I've mentioned this to Lexi a couple times while we're watching it, but I think like. Is it me or is there like an A team animation or A like the, the A team for animation and then there's also a B team who's not not as like not nearly as good. So yeah, there there I would 100% bet that there is uh because you see that a lot nowadays in anime where right. like they get like a, a single show will have between one and five studios animating each yeah. episode, uh, you, especially in like uh, the newer Dragon Ball series, where like uh, it's, uh, depending on which studio is drawing the scene or even like the cut frames between that scene, the characters will have like thicker to non-existent borderlines, and it's really jarring when they shift. It's like this doesn't even look the same sometimes, and they, they do it. They do it because it's cheaper and faster to do it that way. And I'm sure right. they did it back then as well. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the only series that may have cert that may have not done that was Batman. They were they were pretty good at consistency. But, yeah. So this this scene this scene ends with you know Phaeton being like, you know, you gotta you just gotta go with me on this, Gitas, because this is for our own good. And we go back to the the fight with the pirates. Uh, Able Squad is continuing to kick all the ass. Um, Nara, this entire time Nara is taking charge, her voice sounds like 
sounds like what I would do if I was trying to get the attention of a, of a room of people, like sh downshifting my voice and making myself louder to sound more imposing. And I, I don't know why that stuck out to me. Maybe, maybe because like, it doesn't seem like anyone else does that except her. Ifni felt like just for those few lines, because I think I know what you're talking about. I picked up on it too. It's, it felt like a different voice actor, like filling in for her or something. Um, is that what you're talking about? It was just like weirdly different. Or well, yeah. she she goes she goes from like her normal voice to like, and I'll do a terrible impression, or maybe I'll put in some audio later. Where it's like JT twelve four nine er on the ridge. Yeah, and it's, it's like, like you, don't, you don't have to yell. You're on a radio, <laughs> <laughs> right? But it is like I mean, this is like one of her first like kind of out in the field command moments, also because like she's you know set up as this like young lieutenant. She's like just behind JT. This is her first like proper command, and I don't know. It's like this like sort of like weird moment of like performing masculinity almost. Like oh, I've got to be masculine. Maybe that's it. Maybe maybe the that maybe that voice actor was actually going for that, or like the direction was make her sound like she's artificially changing her voice in order to command more respect while she's yeah. in command and i could i could buy that interpretation i, I, I like i said i do that uh, yeah. and i know other people who do that um right. but uh she what well yeah well <laughs> she's she's fighting with the jump troops against this uh against this pirate uh fortification and she tries to like take it out herself gets shot crashes into the fortification <laughs> the, the fortification explodes and the pirates pull her back into their base along with everything else and take her prisoner and able yeah. squad able squad well first do you think the pirates would actually do that like are they looking for ransom or would a pirate just walk up to her and shoot her in the head i i expect if this weren't a kid's show yeah that would be much more like why didn't they just put a bullet or whatever the space equivalent of a bullet is in her brain but, maybe yeah, maybe yeah. they want to try to torture or something to get uh intelligence out of her that's about the best excuse i can come up with right um, but, but also, I, like, <laughs> can we just back up really quickly and point out the fact that she like i mean for uh, lack of a better term to describe it, it it's like a missile truck that she crashes yes. into. <laughs> right. she just like harmlessly bounces off of it as it like massively explodes it's and like, she's oh, fine yeah it's a good thing she's okay wait what we can't we can't master computers that don't explode and blind admirals and, and like and wound laterals but like we totally have mastered like a small e-frame that can bounce off of like i don't know what there's like a hundred missiles on that thing it's it's huge it's a giant it, it, it's uh what it i think there's actually a term for that kind of thing because like we have those in real life, Just yeah, it's like a, like, a, like a rocket truck, or like you know, it's like the Soviet rocket trucks. Yeah, yeah, the 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 class the classic just truck with a giant set of missile rocket launchers on it. Yeah. Um, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna propose this is like a good place for me to propose my uh, feminist psychoanalytic reading of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, so right before. Nara takes out the artillery truck or whatever by falling on it. Uh, a definite win for feminism, of course. Um, <laughs> Maggie also chops the dick off like a giant pirate. Yes. 
And I don't know why, but like that scene really stood out to me. Like the last two times I watched it where she just, I can't even what she does, but she comes through and she just like slices off the end of the gun. Yeah. It looks like, it looks like, it looks like she's using a welder to cut through it. Yeah. It's like a big blade that jets out of her arm. Yeah. Like a welding blade or something. Right. Um, so I don't know. I'm going to propose that this is actually the return of the repressed feminine. Uh, it is obviously, this is woman against the penis. We're taking out those guns, guys. This is happening. Yeah. It's, it's fucking castration anxiety <laughs> to the max. Castration anxiety. Exactly. Do you hear, do you hear this out there? Red pillars. They want to cut <laughs> off our dicks. <laughs> <laughs> this is the future that the liberals want. <laughs> But uh, no, I, I like that. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously, I'm being I'm being facetious. And I'm being yeah, ridiculous, but, but I just those two scenes like right back to back are kind of funny. Good, good catch, good catch. I would I would not have thought of that. <laughs> the, but <laughs> so after after the dick slicing and the and the truck exploding, uh, the truck exploding from someone tripping into it, um, the <laughs> the able squad follows the pirates and Nara into the cave that they dragged her into. And they, the Simbaka set up this, this trap with like hologram walls and guns inside the cave. And someone steps on an incredibly visible laser trip wire. And I don't know if it's just supposed to be visible for us, the audience, but I feel like if I was walking through a cave and I saw a giant like green laser on the floor, <laughs> like, hmm, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll just step over that. Yeah, <laughs> this could be bad. This could be bad. Or tell nothing, nothing good can come from this. Tell tell Dalion. He seems like he's he's the party rogue. He should be able to disarm that, right? Right. Uh, I, like, I like. Yeah, he is very much the rogue, isn't he? I love he, it. Is he the rogue or the bard? Yeah, because he's communications, isn't he? Okay. Like that's his main role. So, well, intelligence is a little different. He does do he does handle a lot of the communication stuff, but it's he's the intel squad intelligence officer. Oh, that's right. Okay, um, which definitely makes him more roguelike. May I propose the party bard is actually Bronsky? Yes, entertainer. One hundred percent. I'm 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 buying his charisma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he does. He has this very like roguish charisma, doesn't he? He's very bar. He's a big bardic in that sense. No matter no matter how disgusting he is, you still love him. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, kind of like you could see if like any of them have like a sort of like soul of an artist, like buried deep underneath that gruff exterior. It's him. And you, and I'm picturing I'm picturing Able Squad at karaoke night, and it's definitely. <laughs> It's definitely Bronsky owning the stage. Yeah, he, he's he is up there belting out "Don't Stop Believing," like <laughs> <laughs> like like nobody's business. Oh, perfect! And like and killing it, like because he can, and everyone's like shocked, like holy shit, he can sing. He has the voice of an angel, right? hundred <laughs> percent. This is the next so. spinoff we need. It's just uh, it's just quite karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> What would what would, karaoke. what what song what song would Marsala sing in in karaoke? Oh, it's got to be something like Whitney Houston. Oh, I feel like like something just like a tearjerker, like just moved deeply. Yeah, like 
I, I picture I picture those those deep Neo Sapien like tones. It's like, and I uh, yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. And at one point, he like locks eyes with Mara, and it's just like, oh man, and you just that's it. You're a mess. Got to like get it's that's a, that's like a two boxes of Kleenex moment. Oh man, I could see Mostala doing like behind blue eyes. Yeah. No one knows what it's like to be yeah. a giant blue guy. <laughs> behind blue guys. <laughs> to, to be the sad man. <laughs> yeah, actually, okay, yeah, that's Which it for sure. It is, behind, right? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> he even has feelings. I mean, oh. sorry, we'll, we'll get to that, but yeah. Oh, man. If, if, if any of these people exist on Cameo, if any of these voice actors are on cameo, we've got to find them and make them sing the song that we yes. we think they should sing on the show. Hundred percent. I bet you. I bet you. A couple of them are still alive. Yeah. Yeah. We got to do this. I, I'm, I'm throwing. I'm throwing down money for that. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> so they 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 walk into this cave and they they step on the tripwire and and then we cut immediately back to Gitas. The, the finance minister hacking into Phaeton's files and he, he guesses Phaeton's password of destiny and he's typing on this, what Neosapiens have four fingers? Four, yeah, yeah, they have four fingers. So they have like, it, it almost looks like a trackball keyboard where I'm assuming they only have like three buttons at a time and they have to use their thumb to like shift through them. Yeah, it's got to be something. Yeah, that's got to be weird. He, he, I've seen there are there are keyboards in mice like that where you shift through like functions. Like mm-hmm. um, I know some gaming mice have that, but and he's also ama- he's amazingly proficient at it too because he's just like clack 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 clack. But uh, he gets caught by some goons. Um, is that a racist term? No. Okay. No, <laughs> you're fine. You can you can definitely call them goons. <laughs> he gets yeah he gets he gets caught by some of Phaeton's goons and dragged away. And then we go back to the pirates, and Simbaka springs the trap on uh, on Able Squad. And the guns don't seem to be that effective against E frames, like they're damaging them. But then Bronski just goes into berserker mode and just starts firing at every wall there is, blowing up some of the traps. And uh, another weird animation thing here where. Maggie's E-frame, the like loader from Aliens, doesn't seem to have a closed cockpit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because her head is popping out over the top of it. Right, right. In this like no atmosphere, like, you know, like we're not no atmosphere, but very thin, like non-breathable atmosphere. <laughs> space in that thing, right? <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because they flew down from the ships through through just the vacuum of space. Head cannon. Maggie is a weakened Kryptonian who can survive in space. Beautiful. I like it. We got, we got to develop these backstories. There's my fan pick right there. Um, the <laughs> Nara saves the squad by jumping up at the person who's holding a gun on her back at the, like the pirate command center and grabbing it and shooting the computer that is apparently controlling these holograms, which allows able squad to blow up all the guns and be safe, but not before a lot of their E-frames are damaged to the point where they seem unusable because they get Mm -hmm. out of their E-frames. Maybe they do that just so they can get through the door. But uh, the 
the door gets blown open by Able Squad. Now I can't. Now I can't really remember the exact order. Oh yeah, that's a good team. question. Era, um, pull up real quick. I'll yeah, it gets, that. yeah, we can check that out real quick. Yeah, it gets it gets blown open by Able Squad, okay. which sucks a bunch of the pirates out to this horrible death in the vacuum of space. Um, but for some reason, doesn't suck Nara out. Like she just dives to the ground and lays there. Uh, she's got that extra strong grip, man. She she's uh, maybe she's like incredibly heavy. Like she's just super dense. She's actually like super jacked. I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I mean, it actually would you know the show never deals with this, but it would actually make sense that she would be denser and stronger if she grew up on a planet with gravity, where the pirates like mostly live in these like low G environments and are Ooh, from there. That's true. Going back, going back to the similarities between the the pirates and the um, the Belters. From, exactly. Uh, what, what's that show called? The Expanse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that's that's that comparison's paying off a lot. Uh, I really like yeah. that. Uh, but the some of the pirates get sucked out into space. Uh, Simbaka and a couple of his guys escape by going to a wall that just has a bunch of spare helmets on it and escaping through a door in the back. Uh, Marcella and JT come into the command center. And Nara's lying there without a helmet. And instead of, well, maybe he gets one later. Instead of going over and getting <laughs> one of those spare helmets, Marsala just sucks in a bunch of air and puts his helmet on Nara. Which, how in the world, like, are all are all spacesuits, do they have, like, a, uh, a standards and practice for the connector between their uniforms and their helmets? So it just clicks into place. Yeah, I mean, must do, I guess, like it, or adjustable or something like that. Yeah. So, so now, now I'm assuming that Marsala immediately does walk over and get one of those other helmets that's just sitting there, and that's how he survives this whole time. Right. Uh, and then, then this battle is over. Uh, the pirates have retreated, and it seems like Exo Squad has taken some lumps, but they've won. Uh, it, and I say take some lumps, but I, I've counted two big capital ships exploding in that right. battle. So I'm guessing anywhere between like 1,500 and 2,000 people die. Yeah. yeah, just on the ships, you know. Yeah, just on the ships. There's also like the drop troops, you know, and then there, and however many other E-frames that are in a naval squad and everything else. Yeah, space is dangerous. Why would we ever yeah. go there? Uh, <laughs> but, but seriously, though. The because it's cool. It is. It is cool. Uh but we should only send robots there realistically <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or maybe we should breed a race of superhuman giant people um we can call them like future sapiens or something or nova sapiens and like we could send them into space nothing could possibly go wrong there really what could go wrong as long as we only program them to be completely sentient and feel pain yeah and generally you know hold a grudge yeah yeah no, I like this plan. I like this plan. Yeah, nothing, nothing will go wrong. There. Musk, get on this. Um, <laughs> I'm telling you now that, like Elon Musk has already probably considered exactly these things. I, I just, uh, th just this morning, I saw someone post an article about how uh, Elon Musk and his various companies in SpaceX is trying to really write the laws of outer space colonization. Right, because. 
presuming he, presuming a private company will be the first one to achieve that, they'll get to declare a nation wherever they land and write the laws there. Because I think right. I think current space law only covers <laughs> that's, that's the dumbest thing I've ever said, but I think it, it actually exists. I've got to find it written down somewhere, but uh, only currently covers the immediate orbit of Earth and the moon. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think the key word that you said there is space colonization, right? And that's that's exactly what this is. And again, not to get like too academic, but going back to some of the decolonial theories that I was like talking about earlier, this is like one of the the problems, right? Is when <laughs> the people who write the laws and make the rules and set up the whole infrastructure through which you seek justice or equality or whatever, like a better future in space, uh create the very system that is like meant to oppress huge groups of people, we're going to have a little bit of a problem. Right. So I don't yeah. know. I, on behalf of South Africa, I would like to apologize for Elon Musk, but I feel like Canada <laughs> needs to step up and also take responsibility for their half of that. problem. Yeah. We need to hold the Canadians accountable. <laughs> it's time for them to pay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> we're building the wall on the wrong border. That's right. Got to keep it up. I mean, but the Elon Musk thing, it's like, I mean, what if, if defense contractors could decide or stipulate, like, what international rules for, like, warfare should be? Like, so, what counts as a war crime or whatever, you know? That's right. what you're doing. You're giving <laughs> private industry the power to do that. It, it either came out uh, late last year or earlier this year, but there's a great video game that I haven't gotten to play yet, but all the reviews lead me to believe I love it, called The Outer Worlds. And... Uh, it's all about, it's made by a bunch of the guys who made um, uh, some of the 3D Fallout games. And it's all about space, like being in space and basically playing one of those Fallout games. But like you said, the people who got there wrote all these rules as like a, corp a profit-seeking corporation. And one of the, one of the apparently one of the missions in it, uh, spoiler alert for the outer, minor spoiler alert for the Outer Worlds, um, one of the quests in there is you dealing with someone who kills themselves and then you have to deliver like a subpoena slash bill to their loved ones because they damaged corporate property by killing <laughs> themselves. Oh no. It's like Hans, are we the baddies? <laughs> are, are we the bad guys? Right. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it, and it's so close to what I could see actually happening. Uh, yeah. Even before yeah. we get to space. Uh, so we go Man. back, the, the battle's over, and we go back to Mars, and we get this cool uh, view of Phaeton's Martian palace, which whoever elected Phaeton to be leader should have, some some light bulb should have gone off, some warning Light should have gone off when you when he named it his Martian Palace. Right. Um, it looks cool though. It's got like all these pointy angles and everything, and like the the Neo Sapien symbol in its actual form that I assume it's supposed to be, no matter how it looks on his uniform. Uh, and he's he's talking to Gitas because he's been caught and he's being held by his goons who are now in E frames with those cool like disco ball mace laser arms that I love they don't have they the neo sapiens are not uh, their common soldier e-frames don't have hands 
They have mm-hmm. a, the disco laser ball and then a missile on the other hand. Uh, yeah, that also uh, shoots lasers out of it, which that is also again, shoots the lasers. coolest thing in that way in the world. If you're too close for missiles, switch to lasers and vice versa. <laughs> right. The, and uh, that disco ball, so it shoots lasers out of it, but I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's at least one or two episodes where it also, they launch it as like basically a missile or something in someone, right? Yeah. So I I didn't own that toy, but I remember seeing it and you the... I know the toy doesn't translate into the cartoon, but I choose to believe it's canon. Uh, the the little disco ball at the end was one of the missiles that could shoot out of it. Cool. Heck yeah. And injure your little brother or pets. You know, <laughs> Terrorize small animals with exosquad toys. <laughs> but he's 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 basically dressing down Gidus and he say he you know he tells him like if you're not uh, if you're not with me, you're against me. And he sends him for a lobotomy to a, to re-educate him, right. uh, and then he, yeah, it's it's pretty it's not clear, but it's pretty fucking sinister, whatever it is. Yeah, and, and then he does the classic villain, like standing in front of a hologram of the solar system, and he holds on to Earth with his four giant fingers, like he's about to crush it, and then symbolism. <laughs> it's what what could happen next. Uh, so there's a there's a moment in that scene. Sorry, uh, before we move on, uh, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah, there where he Gatus is like he introduces Gatus introduces this um, theme that you're going to start seeing across the show uh, about how like Phaeton's approach, like war will destroy us all. War isn't the answer. War will lead to the ruin of the Neo Sapiens. And like events of the show, of course, like bear that out. Um, but at the same time, like the show does, and I think very well, and I think it's like the thing that I still just love about the show is it like sets up the fact that like the Neo Sapiens are still in the right in terms of having a grievance, but the humans don't show any willingness to budge and nothing gets done until this war happens. So like if, if, okay, like, so if, if Gidus and everybody else that like kind of says this, like the war, war will lead to the ruin of the Neo Sapiens is correct. What would have been the, what would have been the way forward? What would have been the path to um, justice? For the they should have gone to vote, Kayvon. Oh, my bad. The vote is your voice. <laughs> That's true. That's true. They should I mean, have tried voting first. They could have voted for Neo Sapien Joe Biden. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. That's, that's yeah. a really good question, though. Like, what? What are they supposed to do? Like, wait for humans to stop being racist, essentially, yeah. or like xenophobic? I guess in this sense, in the most literal way. Um, but yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a, it's that you know. It, my my simple understanding of the concept the 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 person the person who holds the power will ne- will almost never give up the power unless you unless you take it from them right right it, whether whether through a democratic process or not and even in a democratic process the person in power still has to agree with you to right. give you that and it's not laid out like what the actual political structure of the universe is or the of the solar system is in its entirety. Although, like, again, reboot, this would be really interesting stuff to explore. But it does seem like even though the Neo-Sapiens have some limited self-governments and autonomy, they're still subjected to the whims of what Earth and Mars or Earth and Venus want to do. And, like, they don't have a say in larger, like, in the, in the larger politics of the system other than just, like, having, like, a vague representative, like, like, the, like, DC has, like, a vague 
sort of vague representation in Congress, like through through Phaeton, right? And yeah. that's it. And I I almost wonder, you know what I bet? I bet even at like the 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 home worlds UN where Phaeton was the only Neo Sapien there. Mm-hmm. I bet it's almost like having, you know, the perfunctory person who sits in con- in Congress from DC, mm-hmm. but they exactly. don't actually have a vote. Exactly. It's just like some like toothless, meaningless representative there. Yeah. It's right. Sweet. It's like when your, your university says, we are invested in diversity. Um, please come be a token on a committee for us or something. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, yeah. I'm just being really uh, honest about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. no, it's <laughs> I say I say oof because the honesty hurts. Like or yeah. the, tr- <laughs> the truth hurts. Like, yeah. It, like yeah. I wanna I wanna hear it, but it it's also it's also like I love being punched in the face. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I love running into electric electrified bales, getting punched in the face. Hearing yeah. about the corruption of the university diversity uh, rhetoric, whatever. I, I, I'll, pro- I'll probably keep that little story in here, and uh, I wish I, uh, uh, I, I. I'll just add to that is like I don't remember what happened after I hit my head for about fifteen minutes. Like concussions are yeah. serious shit. Don't get yeah. that. Uh, <laughs> the uh, okay, so so we we go we go again. There's a whole bunch of real like quick like. 30 second to a minute and a half, like quick takes in this story where we switch mm-hmm. from the, from the exofleet to Mars and exofleet to Mars. We go back to exofleet and Winfield is in a coma and they have him in this star Trek, like surgery thing, but he's got, you, you see the picture and he's got a red collar on, like he's still wearing his shirt, but they definitely took off his pants. <laughs> It's a Fantastic. form of rectal surgery. They just go in from the bottom and work their way to the top. <laughs> Listen, we can get <laughs> rectal laparoscopic surgery. We can get to everything we need through the butthole. Take off his pants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what 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 wonders of medical science. Is this the scene where like Marsh and Nara are literally watching the surgery as well? Like they're standing up uh like there's a window above the operating theater theater. Yeah, yeah, it's it's actually Marsh and or Marsh and Marsala. Oh, that's, that's right. That's a tongue twister there. But then Marsh goes to the medical bay to talk to Nara because she's there after her harrowing encounter with the pirates. And Marsh has apparently broken his arm or something. Um, and they they talk a little bit, and it's they talk about Marsala, and. We haven't really focused a whole lot on Marsala, but we're getting to understand him a little where like he obviously deeply cares for Able Squad. But that's really it seems like all we know about him at this point. He he shows like a deep sense of you know the classical idea of honor and really cares for his squad mates. And Marsh says, you know, when Nara asks, like, what does the squad mean to him? Marsh says he doesn't feel that way because he can't. And I don't right. think that's correct. Like, well, I think that shows that shows Marsh doesn't really understand Marsala and his feelings, but Nara does because she looks away like she doesn't believe that. Uh, yeah, and this is like a really interesting scene because I feel like the first time I watched this with Kayvon, uh coming into it as someone who 
you know, I didn't know anything about the show. I really, like, I remember turning to Kayvon at the end of the episode and just being like, hang on a second. Like, that seems really weird and, again, kind of racist and, like, under, like, you know, Neosapiens aren't real people. They don't have real people feelings. They can never right. really understand what it means to have human emotion. And I was like, well, what if they just, uh, what if they express their emotions differently? Like, what if they have different uh, social and cultural norms and etiquette that means that they, you know, just express themselves in a different way? And, like, we ended up having a great conversation and I felt really validated afterwards because this is, yeah, this is like the first time in the show that you start to hear that rhetoric that like Neosapiens just don't have fully developed human emotions. And it's interesting that it's coming from JT Marsh, right? Like it's not coming from one of the more overtly um, anti-Sapien characters. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, and, that's like, that's the thing too, is like, okay, so let's assume they don't have, emotions and the way that these people think like you know how is it then that they're able to really like understand the idea of injustice and understand the idea of like you know demanding um recognition and their fair share of the pie and all this stuff like where does that come from this like spirit of rebellion that the neo-sapiens have and that like yes phaeton is like a warped representation of it but like there's this really like radical spirit among the neo-sapiens that you it's like when you see a lot of like the Neo-Sapien underlings over the course of the show, when they talk about the war, this is a struggle for justice for them. And like it's and and like there's also a sense of like national pride, patriotic duty, and all this stuff. It's like, where does that come from? And it, it kind of makes you think like the denial, the human denial of like Neo-Sapiens like emotional agency is a way of saying, like, well, they it, it justifies and reinforces like the human dominance of them. Because it's like, well, they don't, they don't feel upset or sad or anything. So like, fuck it, it doesn't matter. We can take what we want from them. Right. Well, and again, it's like a really good metaphor or analogy for our very uh, human context of like slavery and racism and, you know, uh, colonial domination around the world is like, oh, these people aren't real people. So, right. you know, we'll stick a flag in the ground and we'll teach them English and then uh, <laughs> they'll just have to do whatever we say. Um yeah, so exactly. like those parallels are so obvious in the show, and I I'm so interested to know how you picked up on that as children watching this. I I'm willing to just say that I didn't. Same. <laughs> like my 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 whatever ten eight to twelve year old brain was just like pew pew lasers. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like I think over the course of the show, like especially toward the end of the second season. Because, like, even Phaeton, you know, I'm not trying to give away spoilers or anything, but even Phaeton is humanized to a degree toward the end there. Mm -hmm. And that's when I think, like, as a kid, like, my, like, budding child brain was starting to, like, grapple with the idea that, like, wait, these aren't just clearly the bad guys. There's something else here. But, like, this early on in the show, it was very much like, good guys, bad guys, let's see some space explosions. Like, that's yeah. what I'm here for. Th throughout the course of the show, it probably did have an effect on, like, how I started to view things as a child like growing up but yeah. pro probably at the beginning you know just like anything it takes a while for this kind of stuff to sink in it, it was just like yeah this is lasers and shit that's cool like these e-frames are awesome but now as an adult that i think that's what makes this show so good to look at now because yeah. like what I, what i thought about when i saw that scene was how um relevant it is today when you look at yourself and if you're not part of you know an oppressed group 
and you say you're their ally, you have to understand that even if you are their ally, your un- your perception of what they're going through is never going to be 100%. You can work and think about it to the point where you get as close as maybe you possibly can, but you're always going to have to listen to them because mm-hmm. you might have the idea like Marsh does with Marsala that he is not capable that they're they don't or won't think about things in the in the proper way that you ascribe they should be think, thought about right right yeah and that's i think like one of the things that the show does like now going back as an adult you pick up on those subtleties but i think like one of the great things about this show that made it stick with me so much from childhood is like i remember watching the show there were like so many scenes was like i remember this like i viscerally remember this experience of watching this 25 years ago plus Whereas, like, you know, I struggle to remember a lot of, like, uh, you know, individual episodes of, like, the Thundercats and stuff just gone. Um, And I think one of the things that the show does so well is it just subtly sets up things that it, it, like, builds towards these moments of revelation. So that by the time, as a kid, when he gets to the second season and it starts dawning on me that, like, maybe the Neosapiens aren't actually just, like, the clear-cut bad guys here. Maybe there's something more going on. Um it just made it that much more powerful. Cause like, I think the show had been priming you for so priming all of us, like for so long with these little moments um, to then like, you know, like eventually like it just gets stuck in your kid brain and you're like, Oh fuck. Like this is something more, much more um, robust and complex than I would have even had the words for at the time as a kid, but it's still like, it's stuck with me. And there's a scene I really can't wait to get toward the, the last few episodes. Cause I think that's really where the show is just, Oh, it's so good. That last like five, six episodes of the show. Yeah. Um, and there's a scene there that I can't wait to talk about that really for me as a kid, like watching it again as an adult was just like, God, I remember seeing this as a kid and just being like blown away. And that was really for me where it dawned on me that like the entirety of what the meaning of this conflict was and the relationship between the Neosapiens and the humans and the fact that like this isn't just a story of good guys beating bad guys. This is a, this is a tragedy. This entire thing is a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. The, there's no clear winner or loser. Everyone lost. Yeah, yeah uh, exactly. The the well, so we we go we go from we go from that that scene back at the Exofleet, and now we're back with the Neo Sapiens, and we get this. We we're we're on uh, Phaeton's flagship, the Olympus Mons. Which let's talk about that. He names it after the tallest volcano in the solar system on the planet that he rules. And he built this command center for himself that has a chair that's big enough for him to sit down in his E-frame. <laughs> right. Which, which, I mean, that's, that's some king shit. I'm not going to lie. That, He's that, kind of a bit of a king here. Yeah, you know, he, he is the warlord king at this point. He never has to put down his weapon because he always has a place that his weapon can sit in. <laughs> Like, what we call BNE, Big Near Energy. Also, Phaeton's E frame, my favorite E frame in the show. Yes. 100%. Yeah. It's, the cool it's, thing like about black, it's like black, white, and purple mostly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Aesthetically, yeah. I love that they did that because it's obviously like a bad guy suit, but it's also just fucking cool. Yeah. And he's, it's also very, I, I don't know if it's ever copied. 
I don't think you see anything that looks exactly like it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's unique to him. Like he's the only yeah. one who has that. Even though, like, there are obviously other ones that he's built for himself, but you don't ever see anyone flying them. Right. Um, Which would make sense. I mean, if you were like a megalomaniacal narcissistic warlord, like you, of course, would have your own special E frame. Yeah. But uh, from here, he commences his his now ready war plan. Uh, the the Exo fleet is nowhere to be found. And the inner planets are completely defenseless for the most part. And he starts he starts his attack, Operation Destiny. And already you can see like the fleet that he's accrued on on to attack Venus and the fleet that he's accrued to attack Earth are bigger than what we've seen the Exo fleet be. So mm-hmm. he they're not there, they're outnumbered. And the Neo Sapiens apparently don't give a shit about invoking a war of terror. Like they, they're going after food supplies, civilians, everyone who could possibly put up a fight. And we get this really gut-wrenching scene at the at Nara Burns family farm where they kill Nara Burns' mother and father and almost kill her brother. And Do we know that's her family farm? Like I can't remember. Yeah. There's a subtitle that says Burns Farm. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay. And you see a little bit of it in her, like, kind of like reminiscing and stuff or something. Like, there's a shot of that farm earlier in one of the earlier episodes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the, they go through these scenes of them attacking Venus. They go through these scenes of them attacking Earth. And it's it's bad. <laughs> they've, they've completely won instantly. Uh, and they they switch back from the scene of terror back to the exo fleet and the uh the fleet is about to attack tethys uh the last pirate stronghold apparently and um they they get a call from earth well for first let me let me say before they attack jt actually compliments marcus's strategy in front of uh, Charles McKenna, who's now permitted on the bridge. And uh, it, you can tell Marcus loves it. He's like, yeah, yeah, praise me. I'm so fucking good at my job. Until the call comes from Earth telling them about the Neo-Sapien attack, and Marcus freezes. He he can't bring himself to act fast enough to stop the troops from attacking Tethys while they need to get back to Earth to try and defend against the Neo-Sapiens. And JT just pushes them out of the way and gives the command himself for everyone to return. And then the the episode ends. Thank yeah. God Thank God, JT was there, right? <laughs> right, right. Stepping up. Which, like... Oh, go ahead, hon. No, I was just going to say, like, yeah, he kind of just gets in there, and that's, uh, in this case, a good thing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I I haven't I haven't brought it brought it up uh, the other episodes, but I, I I think maybe I talked about it a little, but I haven't actually said the numbers at this point. I have on screen deaths so far, and again, this is something I've always been fascinated by in this cartoon because it's the only one that does this that I can think of back then. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm estimating about twenty seven hundred people have died on screen. At this, yeah, like that morbid fact has always been fascinating to me. Yeah, 
And then it's and that's not even counting how many like what hun- tens, hundreds of thousands, millions of people are killed in the first like Neo Sapien attack. Yeah, like I wasn't even trying to estimate because there's that scene yeah. where the, it looks like they're attacking the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge, which you know mm-hmm. people were on that, and it looks like they blow up an entire city on Venus. Yeah, yeah, they attack the Venusian capital because you you'll see it later in the second season, and it's basically a ruins. They like destroy all the domes and like. You know, that that can't be done without casualties. Yeah. And like if you just look at what they did to like a family farm, <laughs> they just like flatten the farm and like blow up the uh blow up the tractor that uh Nara Burns' dad is driving. And it's like you see that happen. It's just like, you know, James is on the you know, and it's like it's it's still a kid's show, so you don't see like Mr. Burns or whatever well, um get like right. But like it, you don't actually see him die directly, but you see the thing he's in just explode, and it's like, shit, they just, like, killed Nair's parents. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, you know, it's like episode three of the show, and I'm a 10-year-old kid, and that lady's family is dead. What? I, yeah. I, I was going to say, they spent a lot of time setting up how much Nara loves her family. Like, I was right. going to... It was weird, because I think, again, coming into this, Kayvon had told me previously, like, oh, yeah, people die, and, uh, and like, the first two episodes, I was like, not even really taking note or accounting for the fact that all these people are kind of dying off screen on screen, you know, like you're doing Dave where you're actually counting like the number of uh, <laughs> ships <laughs> being exploded or whatever. Like, my, my little psychotic kill count. I'm like, yes. <laughs> love it. Um, well, I started doing, cause we're watching Avatar, the last airbender and I've started doing that and I'm like, Oh, those people are dead. Yeah. That, that guy's oh, dead. Yeah. <laughs> but it's <laughs> like, I think dead. like in the entirety of the three sevens of three seasons of Avatar, less people die than your average, like extra squad episode. Right, but I think the the scene with Nara's family is what really brought it home for me, yeah. and um, kind of because you have that attachment through Nara and all that setup. Uh, when her family gets attacked, I was like, "Oh no, they're gonna have to escape or go underground." And then it's like uh, the combine harvester or whatever James and his dad are on just gets like exploded. And the house, and I was like, "Oh, maybe James is gonna like run back and save his dad, or he's gonna like run into the house and save his mom." Fuck no, James and Nara are now orphaned. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. I feel like that scene was really good, and it's a really nice climax at the end of like the third episode to just drive home what's at stake in the show. If only, if only the the Burns family would have armed themselves, maybe they could have defended themselves. See, anti-gun control messages. Yeah, because if they'd had yeah. AR-15s while they were out in a combine harvester, that would have made all the difference. <laughs> they definitely would have shot down those aircraft that destroyed their farm. God damn it. Oh, <laughs> uh, Why do I make yeah. these jokes? <laughs> I mean, I say this as someone who's totally fine with guns. Like, the whole, like, fantasy right. of, like, guns are a tool to protect liberty. It's like, no, they're not. Don't get me started. Yeah, Don't get me like, started. like political organizing and long, <laughs> large, like cultural shifts done over long time spans is is your tool of defending liberty. Guns uh, are you, not the bat. You you right. got me you got me started. Like it's really weird. My my views on gun control over the past like six years have gone from all guns are bad to minorities should all have guns because someday the someday like the, the party in power is going to come to burn down their villages. I mean. Yeah. Villages is the wrong word. I shouldn't have used that word. <laughs> no, villages, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> it's not a problem. It's oh, not a, man. I saw you were like they're mud huts or something. Yeah, you're fine. God damn it. Um, 
Well, no, it's yeah, it's <laughs> gun control is one of these just like dumb American. Like we would probably cut this if we need to. But, yeah, like, gun control. Gun control is just, like one of these just like absolutely dumb American culture war issues that it's like the outside of like the the rare you know, the occasional guy you see on YouTube who owns twenty thousand like AR-15s who's like a minority of gun owners. Most people are just like it's like. People we know, it's like friends of ours that are just like, you know, enjoy guns or, you know, sporting enthusiasts, shooting enthusiasts, hunters, whatever it is. Like, and it's like, whatever, you want to own a fucking AR 15 and like go to a range once a month and like light up a target. Have go nuts. I do that on my fucking Xbox. Like, have fun. Yep. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, it's just been very cleverly turned into this just like really dumb wedge issue, you know, that, uh, Anyway, sorry, yeah. I can go on about this forever. <laughs> and someday we will on our pol- politics podcast. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Paul. <laughs> future politique. Right. <laughs> I love it. Well, Uh-oh. so that we, we've gotten to the end of episode three at this point. Yeah. Um, and for me, just like kind of closing comment on it. Like for me, yeah. this is where the show really gets going. The pirate yeah. stuff is just like a sort of you know um bare bones appetizer or whatever this is like really it's like the, it's like that that crappy bowl of nachos at a crappy mexican restaurant um this is now like and then all of a sudden the food is really good because like this is really where i think the show gets going for me well it's a setup it's a setup that pays off dividends later because yeah. if, you, if you don't think we've seen the last of the pirates folks exactly yeah, yeah, and that, and that's oh god, the pirate stuff is so fucking cool too. I remember being a kid and just being like, "Whoa, the pirates! Wow, yeah, so. they're awesome." All right, well, um, I guess you know, uh, as as I do every week, is there anything you two want to plug? Any anything that you want to tell the people about? Mm, nothing really. I'm just a, <laughs> just trapped in my apartment during COVID times. So whatever. Yeah. We are we are all prisoners to to a tiny invisible killer. Uh, yeah, I want to plug the uh, three YouTube workout uh, fitness instructors slash uh, whip crackers that have been keeping me relatively active. No, I don't know. Yeah, it's it, it's kind of sucky that you can't really plug anything when you don't go anywhere or see anyone. Yeah. Thank God for streaming services, right, folks? <laughs> you can all you, you can all take advantage of it and watch watch ExoSquad along with us. That's what you should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great way to spend your COVID time. And with that, we'll call it quits for the day. I hope everyone stays happy and healthy, and we'll see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.